0: Welcome to a super special post-Super Tuesday edition of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. With me as always is senior reporter Greg Giroux. Today we'll dissect what went down on Tuesday and what it means for November. We'll spotlight a TV ad that caught our attention. And then we'll interview Ami Bera, a congressman from California who was on the front lines of the Democratic Party's efforts to retain the House.
1: We were there with 99% of the precincts counted.
0: Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look.
2: House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation.
0: From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's
1: down-ballot counts. Up first, Jerome's gem. Thank you, Kyle. Jerome's gem. My number of the week is 1982. That was the last year Mississippi elected a Democrat to the U.S. Senate. Mississippi, I point that out because Mississippi has a congressional primary coming up on Tuesday. Now, Mississippi was once heavily Democratic, but it shifted to the Republicans like much of the South the past couple of generations. The state has the nation's largest black population percentage at 36 percent. And that's a big supply of votes for Democratic candidates. But Mississippi votes Republican in federal elections because it's also culturally conservative, conservative very Protestant, with a low rate of unionization. In a 2018 Senate special election in Mississippi, Democrat Mike Espy, a former congressman and agriculture secretary who's African-American, lost to Republican incumbent Cindy Hyde-Smith by 7.3 percentage points, which was actually the best showing by a Mississippi Democrat in a Senate race since 1982. This year's Mississippi primaries on Tuesday, as I mentioned, and it should confirm a November matchup and rematch between Hyde-Smith and ESPY. Nonpartisan political analysts give Hyde-Smith the advantage. All right. Well, you see there, uh, we're paying attention to every state, even Mississippi,
0: a state that hasn't seen much competition in a while. All right. Up next, we're going to dig back down into Super Tuesday, all the results that are in and are sort of in. This is Bloomberg Governments. Down ballot counts. The big story coming out of Super Tuesday was Joe Biden's surge to front-runner status and the swift winnowing of the presidential field to a two-candidate race with Bernie Sanders. The latest to go? Elizabeth Warren. She got out this morning. Meanwhile, the House and Senate playing fields got a little more defined. Greg, give us a couple of big takeaways or
1: surprises. I think the big race I was watching on Tuesday, Kyle, was the Alabama Republican Senate primary. We were all wondering what Jeff Sessions, President Trump's, first attorney general, a 20-year senator trying to reclaim the seat now held by Democrat Doug Jones, how he would fare. I think polls indicated that this race would go to a runoff, that he would not win this primary outright. But still, seeing the actual vote returns come in just gave it kind of a certainty. Sessions won just 32% of the vote, came in second place behind Tommy Tuberville, the former Auburn football coach, who got 33%, which means that more than two-thirds of Alabama Republican voters did not vote for their longtime former incumbent, uh, Jeff Sessions. And he's going to have a tough time holding that seat uh, in the runoff on March the 31st. And the day after the primary on Wednesday, President Trump got some shot in in there when he darted off a tweet that... Uh, Basically, he was, you know, dancing. I can't say he danced on Sessions' grave because he's still in the primary, but uh, he definitely liked to uh, uh, give, a, give an elbow to his former attorney general uh, after that 32 uh, yeah. percent showing.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, you know, Sessions was the first member of Congress to support him in his presidential race. Uh, it, you can tell just how mad he still is uh, about about uh, Sessions recusing himself uh, from the Russia probe. Um, all right, I've got a, a, a spot piece of trivia for you. Let's see. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Pop quiz. All right. Uh, Tommy Tuberville, I'd say he's favored to win this runoff. That's sort of just looking at, you know, with Trump's tweet uh, and, and, you know, him finishing ahead in the primary. Who was the last college football coach to serve in Congress?
1: The last college football coach to serve in Congress? Tom Osborne? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Nebraska coach? I can't think of anyone else. He represented Nebraska's third district, that huge agricultural district from... Oh, two thousand and one until about um, 06. until 06. until 06, Yeah, then, then you ran against uh, Governor Dave Heineman in the primary and lost actually, and lost, which was yeah pretty uh, pretty impressive for Heineman to uh, uh, to defeat. Uh, yeah, the proper, I think it's Tom Osborne. Yeah. It is.
0: I th- yeah, he served uh, three terms, uh, and his gubernatorial hopes not so good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Tom Osborne. Well, I think I agree with you on uh, Tuberville being the favorite in the uh, in the runoff. While I s- Sessions is not technically the incumbent. Um, you know, he's, he's got universal name identification. And you have to think, like, why would anyone who voted against Sessions, uh, you know, those 68 percent of people who voted against Sessions, you can't expect most of them to flock to him now. So I think uh, Sessions is probably the underdog. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I've got a few myself. Um, you know, something we were both watching was
0: all the formers uh, running to get back to Congress. Jeff Sessions was one of them. Only one of the five former members of Congress uh, running on Tuesday in, in a primary uh, appears to not be likely to make it. And that is Steve Knight from California's 25th District. He was uh, in northern Los Angeles County. Um, and, you know, he was running both in a special election and in the regularly scheduled election election. It looks like he's going to finish third. But, of course, as we talked about uh, on Monday, California takes a while to count votes. So he's still not technically – he hasn't
1: technically lost yet. Yeah, and I think even in in California's 50th district where Daryl Issa was seeking a comeback, I think he's up by a few points last time I I checked. I don't know if they've officially called that, but it looks like Daryl Issa running in a different congressional district than the one he represented for almost 20 years will advance – Uh, to the November election against the Democrat who uh, came close to defeating the previous Republican occupant of that seat, Duncan Hunter. So Daryl Issa, different district. And then another uh, ex-member who ran in a much different congressional district, Pete Sessions. Uh, No relation to Jeff Sessions, but uh, he represented a Dallas area district for about uh, more than 20 years, I think. Then um, lost the seat in 2018. Then on Tuesday he runs in a Waco area congressional district. A big Republican primary gets about 30 percent of the vote to finish first. He's going to go to a runoff. It looks like with a Republican businesswoman, Renee Swan, who's endorsed by the retiring congressman from that district, Bill Flores, who is not supporting Pete Sessions. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, I, I do think Pete Sessions
0: is he grew up there in in that district, but obviously hasn't lived there. Certainly didn't represent that. Uh, for many terms in Congress. Um, and then I, th- I think the other big story was uh, Pierce Bush, um, the scion, the grandson of George H.W. Bush, coming in third in Texas's 22nd district ba- down there in ex-urban Houston. A lot of people are looking at that. What does this mean for the Bush name? Does, is this a sign that you know doesn't mean as much in the era of Trump? I think that's obviously true. I don't know if that's why he lost. He also isn't from the district. I don't think he was even living in there yet. He certainly wasn't living there when he announced for the, for the race in December. Uh, so he finished his third, you know, kind of a tough loss. And that is a district to watch for Democrats. They are trying to pick that up.
1: That's right. is 22nd district that's anchored in Fort Bend County, a very diverse uh, area. Um, it's going to be definitely a race to watch in the, uh, in the fall. And you have a Republican runoff. Uh, between the sheriff of Fort Bend County there and a self-funding businesswoman who spent about $4 million of her own money. And uh, while we're still in Texas, I would just go further south to um, the 28th District uh, Democratic primary, where Jessica Cisneros, a young immigration attorney backed by some of the more liberal elements of the Democratic Party, almost unseated veteran blue dog Democratic incumbent Henry Cuellar.
0: Yeah, came really close. And, uh, you know, I'd say rather than this being, this hurting the progressive movement and and some of the primaries to come uh, where they're challenging uh, more moderate incumbents. I I bet this is sort of energizing them. She almost pulled this off. She's 26 years old, I'm guessing has never run for office before. Uh,
1: This could be sort of a shot in the arm for for that movement right now. Yeah, it's a very impressive showing for sure. Uh, Kay Granger in the 12th District won more comfortably, 58% to 42% in the Republican primary in Fort Worth. Um, And the other races I would just mention quickly would be in North Carolina, where you're going to see more, I think, opportunities for more women to represent that state in the Congress. Um, You had uh, Democratic women outright win their primaries in the 2nd District in Raleigh and the 6th District in Greensboro. Um, You'll have Democratic women favored to succeed retiring Republican men there in the 11th district a Republican district in western North Carolina. You have a, a Republican woman, Linda Bennett, supported by the retiring congressman, Mark Meadows, making it to a runoff there. If she wins that runoff, she'll be favored to win the November election. Um, And you could have so you could have maybe five as many as five women represent North Carolina in Congress because you already have Virginia Fox, the Republican and Alma Adams, uh, the, the Democrat from Charlotte. So gains for women in North Carolina, you could see in November. All right.
0: Yet another reason to watch the Tar Heel State. We will leave it there because up next is our weekly look at a recent campaign ad that stood out to us. Let's take a listen. Doug Collins says he's conservative, but look at his record a criminal defense lawyer fighting to get bad guys out of jail. In the Georgia House, Doug Collins teamed up with liberal Stacey Abrams to let some convicted murderers avoid the death penalty. And in Congress, Doug Collins teamed up with liberals to allow early release for some sex offenders. Doug Collins, a criminal's friend and a conservative's nightmare. Senate Leadership Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising. That was an ad from Senate Leadership Fund, which is essentially the super PAC arm for Senate Republican leadership. It's remarkable to see a Republican group target a Republican congressman like this, especially one who is friendly with the president. But Doug Collins is not the party's candidate in Georgia. Leaders have made it clear there was Senator Kelly Loeffler, who was recently appointed to the seat and is hoping to win the November special election to fill the remainder of the term. Greg, what did you see here?
1: That's right. As you mentioned, the Senate Republican leadership does not please that Collins has decided to challenge fellow Republican Kelly Leffler, who isn't mentioned in this ad, by the way. Um, she was appointed to the Senate just two months ago, and she's concentrating on, you know, airing some ads and building her legislative record. And you don't want to start out negative ads when you're running your own campaign. You want to start building your biography and doing things like that, and that's what she's been doing, airing some positive ads. But if you have a super PAC ally, they often do the dirty work for uh, candidates, and so they can run the negative ads, and uh, you can sort of, as a candidate, stay above the fray. So the fact it didn't mention Leffler was interesting. Uh, They go after Collins um, by linking him to... Stacey Abrams, who was Georgia's Democratic candidate for governor in that close 2018 race and a rising star in the party. And I noted it um, it invoked uh, criminal justice policies and legislation. They call Collins like the criminal's best friend or something like that. It refers to a criminal justice overhaul bill he sponsored in the last Congress, 115th Congress, that had actually had a lot of bipartisan sponsors, including Jim Sensenbrenner of Wisconsin, um, some other uh, members of Congress you wouldn't exactly call liberals, some conservative Republicans. So um, they're trying to use Collins's bipartisan work with Democrats, including Hakeem Jeffries, to to, uh, to criticize him and try and paint him as, uh, as a not conservative.
0: Yeah. And uh, just because he was this uh, outspoken, um, upfront, on Fox News all the time supporter of Donald Trump uh, during the impeachment hearings, uh, they want to make sure... Uh, voters in Georgia know, or at least think, uh, he's not a conservative. He's not the conservative in the race. Uh, that instead is Kelly Leffler, who I think has promised to spend something like $20 million of her own money on the race, which, uh, you know, is, is something I'm sure Senate Republican leaders uh, like to hear as well, because that makes it just a little bit easier to win that state. Okay. Uh, up next, we'll talk a little more Super Tuesday with Democratic Congressman Ami Bera
1: From Washington. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts.
0: Joining us now is Congressman Ami Bera, a California Democrat. He chairs the New Dem Action Fund, the political arm of the largest ideological caucus in Congress, the New Democrat Coalition. Congressman Bera, thanks for coming on Down Ballot Counts.
2: Glad to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: Congressman, you endorsed Joe Biden in December. He cleaned up on Tuesday, winning 10 of the 14 states and surging to a lead in delegates. Bloomberg government and other publications have quoted numerous members of Congress since Tuesday who were ecstatic about the results. So I want to start there. What does that mean for your efforts to hold the House majority?
2: You know, as one of the frontline co chairs, I think it just made my job a lot easier with the down ballot races. Um, If you think about the schedule Joe Biden kept in 2018, he traveled to a lot of these districts that we picked up and, and delivered the majority for us. So, you know, he was welcomed openly by a lot of our um, frontline members, the, the most vulnerable Democrats. And, you know, I think for a lot of those members, you know, there's a big sigh of relief that now that it looks like Joe Biden is um, on a, a path to be our, our nominee.
0: And that's because he doesn't turn off swing voters in these districts, right? I mean, he, he his message, he, he's not obviously not pitching Medicare for all and some of the things that Bernie Sanders is.
2: Absolutely. If if you look at the issues that um, our freshman members who won ran on, it was lowering the cost of prescription drugs. It was making healthcare more affordable, but it wasn't this Bernie Sanders um, agenda of getting rid of private health insurance or, you know, immediately going off of all fossil fuels, et cetera. Um, Those are issues that, that get talked about, but they get talked about in a more incremental, rational way. And if you look at um, the folks that voted on Tuesday, you know you saw record turnout, um, and it's almost the same coalition that delivered us the, the majority in these suburbs. The folks that came out and voted against Trump but voted in these freshman members—you um, saw that in Virginia, you saw that in North Carolina, you saw that um, across the board. So you know when. We talk about expanding the base and and the turnout and enthusiasm. Joe Biden's the one who accomplished that. And it was the same as what we saw in 2018.
1: Uh, Congressman, there are more than 100 members of the New Democrat coalition. Uh, What exactly is a New Democrat and how are New Democrats different from, say, Blue Dog Democrats or Congressional Progressive Caucus Democrats?
2: You know, there's now 104 of us and we're the largest um, caucus in, in the Democratic Party. Um, what a new Democrat is, is we're really problem solvers. We're focused on um, you know, coming up with pragmatic solutions. You know, we're looking for pro-growth, um, pro-job um, agendas and policies. You know, we all as Democrats want to address um, universal coverage and make sure every American has coverage, that they can go go see a doctor if they get sick um, but we're taking an incremental approach that builds off of the Affordable Care Act. Um, you know, We've got policies like um, auto-enrollment, which would get another 10 to 13 million people who qualify for low-cost or no-cost health care into the system. But we're not looking for a revolution. We're looking at getting back to an agenda that allows us to govern and move the country forward.
0: And so the New Dem Action Fund is in place to, to try to help elect and re-elect uh, members who would support you know, policies like that. Um, what, what exactly does the Action Fund do to support these candidates?
2: Yeah, the Action Fund will, um, you know, as, as candidates, um, we work with them on making sure they knew how to understand policy, you know, giving them the resources to talk about, let's say, coronavirus and things like that, you know, what are the issues of the day. Now, as members, you know, 32 of the frontline members um, that are the most vulnerable ones are new DEMs. So we'll help them raise money. We'll give them advice as they put together their, their campaigns. Um, you know, if you look at the DCCC leadership, 11 of the 12 um, leaders of the DCCC are new DEMs. And so there's this real overlap between um, our leaders, DCCC leaders, and um, the, the frontline members. But it really is making sure these most vulnerable members get reelected.
0: And the Action Fund supported a few candidates uh, who had some success on Tuesday. I saw, you know, Wendy Davis and Gina Ortiz-Jones in, in Texas. They both won their primaries. Those are a couple of top offensive opportunities uh, in November.
2: Yeah, no. And, um, you know, if you look at one of the California special elections, um, Christy Smith, um, you know, came out on top of that special election, you know, for the California 25 seats. So overall, it was a pretty good night.
0: What other races are on your radar? Any any candidates really stick out, or any races uh, you're you're closely paying attention to?
2: Yeah, you know we've um, got a number of endorsed candidates. You know we're looking at the Washington three race where Carolyn Long um, is running against Jamie Herrera Butler. Um, you know Betsy Dirksen-Lonergan in Illinois thirteen against Rodney Davis. Um, Dan Feehan in Minnesota one against Hagadorn. Um, the open um, Susan Brooks seat, we've endorsed Christina Hale. Um, you mentioned Gina Ortiz-Jones. Um, you have the Pennsylvania 10th seat with Eugene DePesquale. um, Florida 16 seat with Margaret Good. And then you mentioned Wendy Davis. And the Arizona 6 seat with Cheryl Chippernini. Um, Some of these are candidates that ran last cycle and came pretty close. Um, and now they're building out pretty strong Races, and you know, we're the first caucus to to really get out there and endorse candidates. Um, a lot of these are red to blue candidates as well.
1: Mm-hmm. How does the New Democrat Coalition Action Fund vet candidates and determine whether they are New Democrat material and merit your support?
2: You know, we will ask them about you know how they would approach certain policy issue areas like healthcare, prescription drugs, um, energy policy. Um, They'll go through an interview process with a a few of us as well. But then we'll also look at the type of race that they're putting together. What's their plan to win, et et cetera? Are they raising the resources necessary to run a competitive campaign? Um, And then if they're a good ideologic fit with us, we'll go ahead and make that decision to to endorse them. And then we will do what we can to both um, raise money for them, but also give them that advice on the, the policy side, as well as the campaign side.
1: And Congressman, you're no stranger to close races in the competitive Sacramento County district, although you won more comfortably in 2018, when seven California Democrats now in your delegation flipped competitive districts held by Republicans. Uh, which of your California Democratic freshman colleagues who flipped those seats, are you, are you races? Which races there are you watching? Uh, which ones do you think will be the most competitive there?
2: You know, I I am very familiar with those um, close um, cutting edge um, races where you barely win. Um, I'm glad I'm in a a safer spot. You know, when I look at the California Democrats, you know, we we know T.J. Cox, who, um, you know, beat David Valadeo. Valadeo's running again. That'll be a competitive race. You look at some of the Orange County seats that we picked up Gil Cisneros, Harley Rada. Those are going to be competitive races, not because of anything that Gil or Harley is doing. You know, they're putting together races running, but you look at the quality of their opponents, um, you know, in young Kim and Michelle Steele, um, those could be close races. Um, You know, someone who um, is really knocking the the ball out of the park, Katie Porter, um, just with her fundraising, and she's really owning that district. Um, You know, on paper, um, that's a competitive district, but I think KD is, you know, doing a remarkable job um, making that race a little bit safer this cycle. Um, a little further north, Josh Harder. That's always been a competitive and tough district. Again, Josh is working really hard to do what he has to do to try to make that a slightly safer race. All
0: right, Congressman. Last question. Uh, we obviously in 2018 saw just a green wave. Just a mass fundraising effort by Democrats, and it has continued this cycle um how is is this just really a reaction to donald trump is is that what what's going on here it's it's sort of sparked this this green wave across the country among uh, democratic activists
2: you know it's pretty amazing. I used to think of myself as a really good fundraiser, but I look at this freshman class and you know it it, it is amazing how much um they're be, they're able to raise and how much they're outraising their Republican opponents. Um I think it it's partly the Donald Trump effect that, you know, that um these they want to hold on to the majority. I also think um, you know, it's that online fundraising ability as well and grassroots fundraising. And then, you know, hats off to these freshmen. They are working incredibly hard doing what they have to do to to get reelected. So I think it's a combination of all of that.
0: All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Congressman Barrett, thank you so much for joining the pod today.
2: Thank you. Have a great day. Be well. All
0: right. You too. This is Down Ballot Counts. Now, before we close the show, we've got a parting
1: shot of trivia for you. That's right. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts when I try to stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. But first, let's review the question and answer from Monday when our guest was Tom Emmer, the chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee, the political arm of the House Republican Minority. I asked for the most recent year when Republicans won the House majority away from the Democrats. Kyle, I'm pretty sure you got this right. Well, I shouldn't
0: be politics editor uh, at Bloomberg Government if I don't know this. Uh, the answer is 2010.
1: Ding, ding, ding! You are correct. And uh, I'm sure you were covering the 2010 election uh, in whatever capacity you were at the time. Of course, uh, yeah. That was, a, that was a fun election year. Republicans made a net gain of 63 seats that year uh, to win the majority they had lost just four years earlier. As Emmer said uh, in our uh, podcast on Monday, Republicans need a net gain of about 20 seats to win back the majority uh, this November. So congratulations, uh, Kyle, and listeners for getting 2010 correct. But I can guarantee you this week's question will be harder. Uh, we spoke earlier in the program with California Congressman Ami Bera, who heads the New Dem Action Fund and is also among a handful of medical doctors in the Congress. And my question is, who is the only female doctor in Congress? In other words, who is the only woman with an M.D. degree currently serving in the Congress? That's a good one. It's a harder question than last week's, certainly. Think about that and email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com. Or you can tweet your answer at the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov using the hashtag #DownBallotPod. pod. We'll reveal the answer and ask a new question on the next episode of Down Ballot Counts. That's it for us today. Before we go, Greg, what else are you watching this week? Kyle, I'm watching the Mississippi congressional primaries on Tuesday, even though they're mostly pro forma. And this week we get updated campaign finance reports for candidates running for Congress in Ohio and Illinois, which have primaries on March the 17th that you should be aware of. We'll talk about Ohio and Illinois in our next program.
0: I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg Government's parent company, also sought the Democratic presidential nomination. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. The producer for Down ballot Counts is David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Cases and controversies is all about the Supreme Court.
0: Oh, come on, you know, come on. Well, I agree with you. Be serious.
2: We sit down with leading practitioners
0: and scholars to break down these cases. I
2: mean, I'm glad you brought that up, so I didn't
1: have to. Oh, interesting. That That is interesting. I guess my imagination is running wild. (laughs)
2: Tune in every week for our deep dive and sneak peek episodes wherever you get your podcasts.
0: As always, check out the latest at (laughs) news.bloomberglaw.com.